0: Happy belated birthday to you, happy belated birthday to you, happy belated birthday to bitch and bruise, terrific sex bastard (laughs) Bradthorne,
1: happy belated birthday to you. Oh, this is so nice, thank you so much. There's no cake, I'm sorry. And you can put your pants back on now, please.
0: (laughs) Surprise! Um, hi everyone, how's it going? You're listening to yet another episode of The Bitchin' Review, the only music review show you'll ever need, brought to you by Bitchin' Brew Podcast. I'm Danny and he's Brad Thorne. Hello. <laughs> We've been absolutely shitting out podcasts lately, yeah, we are, I man. must admit. It's probably down to the fact that we were playing catch-up pretty, pretty severely, to be honest. We are back though in the in the sort of OG recording place. Yeah. Of of the car park in Southampton outside a Curry's PC World.
1: It's other where the e- magic happens.
0: Other electronic appliances shops are available.
1: Yeah. I can't think of any there. Is Dixon still a thing? I yeah, well you never see them. Or Comet. No, Comet's Comet, got... No, Comet's
0: long time gone. Comet's long time gone. R.I.P. Right, yeah. <laughs> Pour one out for Comet. <laughs> but um, I think this actually... I don't think this is the space where we recorded the first... Like, it's not the exact same space, but it's sort of in the vicinity. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. we're like maybe three spaces along.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Which is a metaphor for how we're progressing.
0: <laughs> well, no, we're on episode six now. Yeah. Technically episode seven. I'll say that every time. <laughs> episode number technically one after it, because we did an episode zero. But um, hopefully we are not going to have any interference today from the uh, from the Fast and Furious crew, much like we did uh, the last time we recorded here. But we are going to be talking about some of the most noteworthy music releases from the month of June. And uh, they come to us courtesy of Baroness, uh, Perry Farrell, Dinosaur Pile-Up, Pelican, Fresh, Fuming Mouth, Her Name is Colour, and we were going to talk about the St. Pierre Snake Invasion, but then I remember the High Long record came out in June, so I decided to swap out at the last minute. Okay. Did you not get the memo? <laughs> <laughs> I, I am only joking, we are going to talk about the St. Pierre Snake Invasion, and um, unfortunately Brad, I am going to have to make you wait until the end before we talk about that one. That's okay. <laughs> we are recording this a couple of days before 2000 Trees, mm-hmm.
1: so, um, so Bradley, who, who are you looking forward to seeing? Um, other than you... Um oh. <laughs> um oh you put me on the spot every time i die is a big one yeah for me hot like, damn in full yeah never seen them it. before as well oh really Have they you are never... one of those weird anomalies oh fantastic yeah um who else uh basically the whole of that lenmania stage yep uh it's gonna be a really good one uh a man there's so many so many great bands how about you uh, well I gave my five away. i tell you where you can find it out and
0: you know the best way to get oh. prepared for 2000 trees this year is by checking out our bitchin festival preview um, that just went out the other day that was a cheap plug I'm sorry but it did I just I set it up <laughs> yeah it down. yeah you're a you're a party to my cheap plug <laughs> um yeah, that just went out the other day. Um, I had a really great time chatting to Joey from I Told You I'd Eat You and Janine and Hamish from Vukovie, um, and hearing their top five artists to see this weekend. Some great recommendations here, there. You can uh, go back and listen to that now on whatever podcast platform you listen to us on and uh, and kind of get psyched for for 2000 Trees, which at the time we're recording this is kind of... What, 36 hours away until we yeah. sort of set, set sail, as
1: it were? Yeah, it's almost 2000 Eve.
2: Ooh.
1: <laughs> How long were you thinking of that? Uh, about 30 seconds. Bullshit. to give myself some credit. No, I've never. I've never... <laughs> you don't strike me as much
0: for puns, man.
1: No, I'm not. It doesn't come very naturally. No, me, me neither.
0: I'm, I'm really? Apart from, like, no, do you know how long it took me to come up with Mine Bradio? <laughs> <laughs> um, right, so before we go into the album reviews, we've got a couple of live shows to talk about that we went to in June. Mm-hmm. Um, Brad, you went to see Alexis on Fire.
1: Yes, headline the Alexandra Palace.
0: Oh, our favourite venue, Alexandra the... <laughs>
2: Palace.
1: <laughs> um, Alex on Fire headlining Alexandra Palace in 2019 was a, a bit of a head scratcher for me. I'm not sure about about you, but I was initially surprised when they announced that. You know, even though they, they made short work of Brixton Academy.
0: Yeah, I mean, they've played year, Brixton but... a good few times. Yeah. Um, perhaps Ali Pali. I guess this just kind of goes to show that there's not really a sort of. I can't really think of a. Particular middle ground between Brixton and Ali Pally. Certainly in mm. sort in London.
1: Yeah, I mean they owned it just to get that okay. Out of the way. Great. Uh, they did a really great job. I was quite far forward, so I can't I can't speak for kind of the quality um, of the sound further back. Right. I know it's not always the best. No, Ali like Pally.
0: Best. I mean we've been pretty vocal about this on Twitter. Ali Pally is it's shite. Not, yeah.
1: Uh, and, I mean, I, I should say um, there were two support bands which who I missed, both of them. Okay, I know was... one
0: of them was Chastity. Yeah. And um, and Dave, uh, Alexis on Fire, I mean by Dave, they've been bigging them up as sort of fellow Canadians. Mm-hmm. Um, I did hear a, a song of theirs on the Radio On Rock show the other day, oh, which... Cool. Sounded good. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's. I have no notes on them. Yeah. <laughs> like no, no, really. I thought it was very cool that
1: they they booked their own supports. Mm. You know, and, and didn't rely on a big support yeah. slot to to help shift tickets. Mm. Uh, and I do believe it sold out on the day as well. Oh, that's which fantastic! Is cool. Yeah. Um, but no, from where from where I was stood, it it sounded and looked great. I think the really really cool thing about Alex on Fire that that comes through even more live, is that. Each member has a kind of a, a larger-than-life personality. Right, they are all okay. quite different from each other. Um, so, like you know, George Pettit, who's the who's the kind of screamer. Uh, is very kind of he has got quite a sort of feral, ferocious kind of stage presence. Okay. Um, Dallas Green is is this kind of super cool. Yeah. Guy, he makes belting out those choruses look like another day in the office. To it be just honest. kind of looks effortless for it him at really this point, does, doesn't yeah. it? Um, Wade is obviously this this very cool. He's got kind of like a swagger mm. to him. Very charismatic. Like, no. Super charismatic, yeah. Um, Chris Steele is kind of just uh, a bit manic and, and frankly a, a bit weird mm. to watch. Super entertaining. And then their, their drummer, um, Jordan Hastings, is... Um, Ratbeard, isn't it? Ratbeard, yeah. yeah He's this kind of powerhouse punk rock drummer. I mean, you could watch... You could pick one of them to watch for an entire set and it would just be That's super cool. entertaining. Which mm. I think something that... All the best bands have that quality, you know? Yeah. Um, the set list was really, really great. I was very pleasantly surprised by how much older stuff they okay. pulled out for for a venue like Alexandra Palace. I know they played Brixton almost uh, a year to the day prior to that show, mm. so
0: it was quite quick. It was kind of like a download warm-up show when they did Brixton,
1: wasn't it it? Was, or, yeah, or was it? was, yeah. It might like, have been very, post- very soon after that. It might have been yeah, a day Yeah, it was after around the time. Yeah, yeah sure. Yeah. And... Um, Maybe they were conscious of the fact that they had just they had done that about a year before and mixed up the set list a little bit. Mm. Um, they played lots of first album stuff, Pulmonary Archery and Water Wings. They played uh, Little Girls Pointing and Laughing for the first time in 12 years, I think. Wow. So some real deep cuts for, for fans, which, as I am a fan, was very, very nice. Yeah. Um, and I think, just to kind of round it off, I think Brixton felt like a very nostalgic celebration of this band that I think it's fair to say for our age group was a quite a crucial band in terms of get Well, for me, it was definitely... Alexis on Fire were definitely a big band getting me into this kind of music, you know?
0: Yeah, around the time that I was getting into this sort of music, it was, it was Crisis. Yeah. It was sort of the thing that they yeah, were doing at
1: that time. Definitely. Um Brixton felt like a kind of celebration of, of that era. This was much more kind of forward looking mm. felt like the how, start how were the new songs live because I love the uh, new songs yeah they didn't play complicit actually oh really wow yeah um, Familiar Drugs uh, got one of the biggest reactions of the night easily a
0: huge chorus yeah
1: it was met with a with a real um, kind of raucous reaction mm. from the crowd and it, it it felt more like the kind of the start of another era for this band and them sort of cementing themselves as one of the kind of figureheads mm. of that post-hardcore kind of scene, you know, and, and it was a real... Uh, they were really staking their claim, you know, to start headlining festival stages and stuff, I think. Yeah. Which was really, really cool. I so, would yeah. very much
0: like to see them. See, I've, I've kind of been going in on Alex on Fire quite a bit recently because with them coming back with these new tracks, everyone's kind of going nuts, and I'm like, yeah, these new tracks are really good, but mm-hmm. I'm not, like, as... Devoted to Alex on Fire as everyone else is, you know. Yeah. I, you know, shock and awe. But um, <laughs> but I, I love these new songs. I'm possibly more excited for an Alex on Fire album than I, I think I ever have been. Really. Yeah. Um. Uh, not that you know, I don't love the old stuff. It's just I've yeah, less sure. of an emotional connection to it. I suppose. Um. I do want some new stuff soon. I. They.
1: I, I, they they m- maintain that there's not an album. Mm. Coming. I. I'm not entirely sure I believe them. You reckon they're going to do like a Kendrick or something? I think they might do a Kendrick, yeah. I or think uh, it could work uh, for who them. who else has done it? An Avenged Sevenfold? Mm. A Five Finger Death finger done it? Possibly. Yeah, one of them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think there might be a surprise album drop maybe next year or something.
2: Mm.
0: Yeah. All right, awesome. So um, yeah, I went to a considerably smaller gig than Alexandra Palace. It's a considerably smaller venue. Sorry, I went to the Joiners. Surprise, surprise, surprise. And I went to go and see Nervous. Um, it was a it was a three band bill. It was almost like a I don't know if you can call it like a tri headline, but. It very much felt like a sort of a community sure, yeah. effort, like a group effort. Um, the three-band bill consisting of Nervous, Koji and Fresh. Uh, Fresh, obviously, we'll be talking about them a little more in depth as uh, mm-hmm. as we sort of go along because we'll be reviewing their new album. But, um, you know, to start off with them, Fresh were amazing, as, as they always are. They were fighting through some sort of technical issues, mm-hmm. um, but... Catherine kind of used that to her advantage, and um, and played one song on her own. It's it's that um, song from the the new album. You know you know the one I mean the sort yeah. of solo one. Yeah. Um. I don't want to wazz on about it too much right now, but <laughs> you know the song I mean. Yeah. Um. And there was like a real jovial atmosphere on stage the whole night. They were all laughing and joking that they were playing what they kept calling the big gig, <laughs> even though it's like a two-thirds full joiners where they've played countless times. Um. But I I like that. It kind of shows that they're not ever going to become complacent yeah and um, yeah there was a great mix of stuff from the first album and that new album um, which again we'll talk about in a bit but um, it was just a big old bundle of fun and laughs and warmth and Mm. and wholesomeness (laughs) Um, do you know anything about Koji?
1: I don't I have to no
0: I I don't know much about them either but uh, Koji is an American songwriter and activist Mm -hmm. Um, I believe uh, Koji, or Andrew, his real name. Um, Koji's his middle, uh, their their middle name, I believe. Um, I believe Koji is of Japanese descent, and they make this beautiful, delicate, almost indie emo-esque music. Mm-hmm. Um, semi-acoustic at times. They've done a few splits with Bands Like Into It, Over It, and okay. Ladder Spew. Um, they're based in Pennsylvania, but Koji just seems to be on tour in the UK like constantly mm. or in mainland Europe and musically they're very good but where they completely kind of had me hook line and sinker was in their stage pattern they're very sort of well spoken and intelligent mm-hmm. um, they've got a lot of opinions on politics and the environment and mental health yeah. that they like to share um, but they, they kind of tell them with the composure of like a storyteller. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, they're sort of incredibly compelling, and you can tell people are kind of like stopping and listening, just because the room is so quiet, and they're yeah. ha- having to use the mic to kind of talk. And it's very sort of charismatic and naturally funny, and slightly awkward in places. Yeah. Um, they had like a band, a backing band with a sort of they had a touring guitarist for most of the songs, so like a backup guitarist uh, or like a second guitarist, and then M and Jack from Nervous um, came up and played a couple of songs, just oh, so cool. like the rhythm section. Um, they had a moment where they had the person right at the back of the venue passing a fist bump through every <laughs> person in the crowd until it got up onto the stage. It was like nice. a vote of confidence. Um, I thought that was a really cool moment, to be honest. And I won't repeat anything they kind of said here between the songs because I think I'll probably just end up getting the wrong end of the stick <laughs> and, and kind of misquoting them. But do definitely go look Koji up on YouTube for sure, because mm-hmm. they are great. Um, nervous um, I, I honestly don't know what I can say about Nervous's live show that I haven't already said but they're just so consistently brilliant live yeah. um, and they're getting scarily better each time <laughs> um, there was lots of sort of running jokes about uh, the gig being cursed because there was like technical problems throughout the whole night uh, M kind of opened the show by cackling through the mic and using like a witch's voice to kind of place a curse on the gig Um <laughs> But, you know, all technical issues aside, their melodies are just so sort of bright and clear-cut and nothing gets kind of lost mm-hmm. most of the time. And, and it's excellent to hear that the set now largely comprises material from Everything Dies, mm-hmm. which is, was my number two album of last year. You liked it very much, I yeah, believe. Very much, yeah. Um, but, I mean, M. Foster has just such a, a sort of a bone-dry sense of humour. Yeah. Um and now that Lucinda from Cult Dreams is playing bass in the band, um she introduces the band as We're Nervous from Watford and Hull. <laughs> <laughs> um she got the, and this is M. I mean, not Lucinda. M got the entire audience to boo at Dan Bratton, drummer of Creeper, uh, even though he wasn't in the room. <laughs> so they just filmed it and sent it to him. This is an ongoing joke when they, when they yeah come
1: to the South Coast, I think. Yeah,
0: whenever they come to Southampton or yeah, anywhere yeah. nearby, um, and they finished on it follows as they usually do. And I was quite surprised to hear M asking everyone to actually join the band on stage. Yeah, I thought yeah, I didn't really think that was a very sort of M Foster move, <laughs> um, but after like three or four people went up she was like no we're not playing until every single person is on this stage and this sounds like a very sort of typical thing to say like get up on stage come on yeah, join yeah. us but she fucking meant it. They yeah. did not play until the majority of the audience was on that stage. Wow. And um, the best bit of it was when Lucinda kind of jumped off of the stage to play the rest of the song kind of on the in the crowd mm-hmm. area. Em tried to join Lucinda, um, and when she jumped, she just completely stacked it. Oh um, and they both finished the song lying on the horrible, sticky floor of the <laughs> joiners. Um, I suppose if you are listening, Em and Lucinda, I really hope you got your jabs. <laughs> um, after, after doing that, um, I haven't even mentioned the fact that they played some new music because they've just finished recording oh, wow. their new album. Yeah. Not too far from here, actually, they recorded it at the ranch. Ah. Um, and I'm not going to comment too much on that now. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I will say is, you know, M seems to be capitalising further on that quite dry sense of humour. Mm-hmm. Um, not like to the point at which it's like a comedy song. But, yeah. Uh, they also appear to be going a little bit more political. There was a song that they've written about the police actually called they don 't keep you safe cool. um All you need to do is follow em on Twitter to kind of establish yeah. her feelings towards <laughs> law enforcement um but it was it was great and i'm I'm really excited to hear the album that they've they've kind of just finished recording literally I think it was about a week before they played the they did the tour that they finished the album, so that should hopefully be coming well hopefully either tail end of this year or start of next year yeah I don't sure. think they'd wait around too long
1: no. I do think so,
0: so yeah. Uh, that was that was a very good night indeed. So, you've well, you've uh, you went over to uh, lovely sunny Bournemouth, yes, and you went to see Foles,
1: yes, uh, at the Bournemouth International Center. I've never venue. been, it is not really a music venue, is it first not? First and foremost, it's where you go for um, like conventions, yeah, and, yeah, and that
0: sort of thing. Um, it's a bit like, have you ever been to the pyramids in Portsmouth?
1: It is a little bit like that. Yeah, yeah. But it doesn't smell of chlorine quite so much. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's all part of the charm. Yeah. Anyway. Um, it's a it's an interesting time I think for Foles, because they went away for a little bit I think after their last album, what went down. They yeah, they of, did. Yeah, they did. And um, prior to that, they were I mean they were on a very fast upward trajectory. I think people mm. were talking about them as possible Glastonbury. Pyramid stage headliners. They headlined Reading. They, so yes, co- they co-headlined, co-headlined it with disclosure. Mm-hmm. Um, I personally felt they were robbed of their full-on headline. They slot, surely but, deserve um, it soon. I think so. Uh, and I think based off of this performance, they, they really, really do. Mm. Um, it was great. It It really did feel like they had something to prove, I think, having been away for a little bit. We really liked that new album, though, didn't we? Yes, we did, yeah. yeah. I think it, it has gone down very, very well with their fan base, and I think it, it's probably garnered them some new fans as well. But perhaps in a live environment, they really wanted to show that they, they're they better than ever. Mm-hmm. Um, and they did, and it became really, really apparent how much they've honed this arena-sized headline set that they've got. And their their discography at this point is is quite a varied... Mix of sounds.
0: Was it quite a sort of an even split between all the albums?
1: It was actually. They didn't lean as heavily as I thought they might on the new album. Okay. Um, there was three or four. Off the top of my head, there was three or four from the first album. Excellent. About three from the second album. Yeah, so a pretty. Total even... life forever is my favourite falls album yes, today. Yes, as I think it is mine as well. Mm. Um. And they really kind of seamlessly go through this very varied discography that they've got. You've got the kind of this kind of shimmery indie sound of songs like "On the Moon" or "Spanish Sahara," mm-hmm. "Black Gold," from yeah. "Total Life Forever." There's um, there's a really really dancey energy. It almost becomes a, a bit like a, a rave or a mm. DJ set or something when they play songs like "My Number" and In Degrees. Yeah. Um, and then songs like "Snake Oil" and "Providence" and the title track from "What Went Down." are really, really heavy when they play them live, mm-hmm. really kind of riff-laden, and they just go through all these different sounds very, very seamlessly um, and never really let up on the energy. I mean, for a Wednesday night in Bournemouth, the crowd were really, really up for it as well. Um, they brought one of the most kind of picturesque, impressive productions I've seen a band bring for yeah. a while. Um they had these these screens behind them. Um, they had these these kind of tree branches coming down from the ceiling. Is it quite sort of modelled on the the artwork for everything? Like said, last part. Of one? It kind of changed to suit uh, whichever song. Oh, they nice. Were playing. Yeah, which was which was very very cool. And,
0: does Yanis um, still kind of get in the crowd?
1: Uh, he did for um, for what went down and some of the heavier stuff. Nice. He would come down to the crowd. Um, he was bouncing around like a sort of indie Duracell bunny <laughs> for most of the uh, most of the set. I mean, they busted out lasers and really, really cool lighting oh, for nice. some of the dancier ones. It was a, it wouldn't have looked out of place in the O2. I know they played Alexandra Palace on the same tour. Mm. Um, it was a, a show really, really built for massive, massive stages, which is cool. Um, and at one point in the set, Yanis kind of yelled ''Falls forever." And um which got like a massive, massive response from the crowd. And I think that kind of sums up the night quite well, I think. Mm. It felt like a real celebration and a real like this band aren't really going anywhere and they're going to keep getting bigger and they're going to keep being one of the biggest bands in their kind of yeah. of their peers, I think.
0: I think as good as what went down actually was, mm-hmm. I think it was a good album. Yeah. Um I think there were definitely question marks around the sort
1: of future of Foles. Um, it was the first time where it felt like just another foals album mm, yeah exactly yeah um which is possibly not so good
0: when it's only your fourth album yeah but um yeah it seems like they're just back on the up and up now and i really do hope they kind of get back up to that larger arena slash festival headliner status
1: yeah yeah and I, i think they will
0: Alright, so, um, should we talk about some albums? Yeah. Um, we're starting with a big one, <laughs> um, and, and the sort of first of many complex, progressive albums that we'll be talking about in this yeah. episode, spoiler alert, <laughs> um, Baroness with Gold and Grey. Um, it's the fifth album from the Grammy-nominated Prog Metal Quartet from, uh, yeah. from Georgia uh, via Virginia. Um, it's the end of their colour cycle of albums Mm -hmm. uh, obviously preceded by purple yellow and green red and blue oh no blue came second right red was the start yeah yeah. 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 Um, are we calling it a double album gold and grey no I don't think so I couldn't find any distinction in regards to where like a first album would end and a second would begin like yellow and green does but it is 17 tracks, it's over an hour long, mm-hmm. it's a long old fucking record and we're going to be talking about a fair few long albums today. <laughs> um, I actually got into Baroness quite late, I heard a lot of clamouring around the name, certainly around Yellow and Green, Yeah. but it actually took me until Purple came out in 2015 yeah. to check them out and, well the rest is kind of history. Yeah. Um, are, are you in a similar position? Exactly the same for me, right. yeah. I think they do this amazing job of making this progressive, almost otherworldly music at times. Yeah, it's
1: really esoteric. Yeah, and...
0: but they make it seem a lot more sort of human and mm-hmm. compelling through their performance of it and their execution of it. And I think with Golden Grey, much much like Purple, which I think was the album that kind of pushed them into that Grammy-nominated territory, Yeah. Um, I, I do feel like there is absolutely loads that someone who's not very well clued up with such a complex genre as progressive rock or progressive metal, whatever we're calling this, there's plenty within this album for them to latch onto, nonetheless. Mm -hmm. Um, So much so that I don't think I would even call this a progressive or even like a metal
1: album at times. No, yeah, I can see where you're coming from with that. I think... um, I think it's very clever of
0: them to kind of lead with the tracks on this album that sound most like um, Baroness kind of doing what Baroness have done best up to this point. Mm-hmm. So if we're thinking about, you know, like Borderlines being the first single and Seasons and Throw Me an Anchor, they kind of feel like the sort of most natural progressions from Purple. Yeah. Um, and I think by drawing people in, they they really kind of allow you to sort of become immersed in all the other weird esoteric like you said yeah m- moments on this record there's this sort of really you know it largely comprises more much darker mm-hmm. sort of swirling almost psychedelic jams yeah there's some a lot point. of
1: psychedelia on this i think
0: more more than i think there
1: ever has been definitely yeah i think do you do you feel like this is a less accessible album than Purple, which I think it's fair to say was their most accessible up to that point.
0: I would say for the for the body of work as a whole, yeah. because it is such a long and and quite a complex album. Mm-hmm. Now, I say seventeen tracks, a few of them are kind of instrumental interludes yeah. clocking in anywhere between forty five seconds and two minutes. Mm-hmm. But it is still a long old album yeah. and and one that kind of doesn't reveal itself fully instantly.
1: If Definitely.
0: that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but you know, going back to what I was saying about the the sort of psychedelic element of it, um, I think that's sort of the stuff that jumps out to me as being the best things about this record. Mm-hmm. Um, the the song that I think on the first couple of listens, like I said, this this album does take a, a good few listens. I'm still kind of discovering stuff from this album, even though I've already listened to it about eight or nine times yeah, yeah. at this point. But uh, the song that kind of immediately jumped out from the first couple of listens is, is "Tourniquet." Yes. Um, it has this sort of shoegazy guitar line in what I suppose we're calling the chorus of the song mm-hmm. that just kind of cuts right through you. Yeah. Um, and then it, that same guitar line is played sort of the second time round. Uh, but it comes back as like this almost thin Lizzie-esque dual guitar, yeah, yeah. Uh, dual guitar line, um, and you know I think it's a very subtle record. Definitely, you know it doesn't have quite as many grand, you know crescendos as as like Purple or even mm. like Yellow and Green does, and I definitely think it's you know not as loud and metallic. I think one of the, one of the absolute highlights of this album is possibly you know the the I guess we can call it the third quarter of the album, which has tracked like "Emmet Radiating Light" into mm-hmm. "Cold Blooded Angels." We'll talk in a minute about the song "I'd Do Anything," um, and uh, you know they are mostly acoustic songs, yeah. very sort of subdued and stripped back by Baroness's
1: standards, mm-hmm. which is what leads
0: me to kind of go: Is are they even like a metal band at this point?
1: Yeah. I think, yeah. To, to my ears, this is this album's definitely an attempt, a successful attempt to to do something more spacious and and more kind of soundscapey. Mm-hmm. I think than Purple. Um, as you said, it, it is a long album, and every every second of that kind of just over an hour runtime is so meticulously kind of poured over. Mm-hmm. And um, I think I think what makes it still not kind of totally uh, impenetrable is is uh, John Dyer Baisley's kind of knack for carrying a melody. Mm. It's it's super impressive I think that you can listen to an album like this as kind of because I think it is a challenging album at the same time. Mm. But songs like Seasons and Tourniquet, like you said, and, and Throw Me an Anchor, they can really get kind of lodged in your head. The yeah. melodies and you'll be kinda of humming them for the next couple of days after you listen to the album. That's quite an impressive Juxtaposition Mm. to have, I think. Um, There's also the addition of uh, Gina Gleason. I, yeah, I was very excited
0: to hear this. Well, when I saw him at Download in 2017, it was kind of one of their early shows with Gina Gleason, Mm. and and just seeing the sort of melodies and harmonies that she added. Uh, especially vocally She's an amazing guitarist Obviously Yeah um, But just the vocal harmonies That she was adding To shock me It's Live. a really cool texture To yeah. kind of add into there Oh she's with. fantastic on this And what you were saying About John dyer Baisley I mean You know Without dwelling too much On the events Of the of the last few years Because I don't think They should really define Baroness No um, And you know They've been covered here There and everywhere So we won't really go into them John Dyer-Bazley Is a real survivalist Um and he's had to overcome a lot, not just sort of mentally, but physically. Yeah. Um, and I think his ability to carry that much emotion with, let's face it, a relatively narrow vocal range. I don't think his vocal range is particularly huge. No. Um, and I don't mean that in a negative manner. No. But, but his ability to carry that emotion is just staggering on this album. Definitely. We mentioned the song I'd Do Anything yeah. earlier. Um and it's the most stripped back the Baroness have ever sounded. It's by my memory. It's mainly um, John Baisley, uh, vo on vocals and mm-hmm. a piano. Yeah. Um, and I think there's some sort of strings, very sort of far back in the mix. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are just sort of these these cracks in his voice. Uh, it has a sort of a weathered quality to yeah. it. Yeah. And those those little sort of imperfections. Can just carry so much meaning and weight.
1: Sure, it's the humanity you mentioned. Yeah, earlier, yeah. and
0: it just kind of gets you right, right in the feels. <laughs> um, what do you think about the production? I was about to say of this record—the
1: uh, the elephant in the corner of the room with this album, isn't it?
0: It's been a big sticking point among. Fans yeah. over the last couple of albums um, is attracted a lot of hate, even yeah pretty pretty sort of um uh, pretty sort of angry people on the internet i 'm not a producer angry people on the
1: internet, you say,
0: oh yeah, God, have you a... not seen them <laughs> a rare beast <laughs> um I, I'm, I'm not a producer um no. my kind of days of a level music tech are far behind me, <laughs> but my understanding is that a lot of people really don 't like how compressed and distorted the record sounds, yeah. Um, I kind of really like the fact that it's produced in that way.
1: I was initially kind of conflicted. I mean, my first listen of this album, I initially kind of thought, you know, this is such a textured, layered, rich Mm. sound. Why would you make it sound like this? Was my initial thought. Mm. Um... But I'm not a producer and, a, and you know John Dyer, Baisley and the rest of this band have got more creativity in their little finger than I will ever have in my entire body in my entire life. <laughs> so who who am I to tell them that that is a, a questionable yeah. decision? And I think the more that I that I dug into this album and immersed myself in it, I started to see it as a very deliberate decision to evoke this kind of esoteric, otherworldly kind of challenging sound that that requires your effort and mm. your attention you you do have to put a little bit of work in to get the most out of this album i think and i really appreciate that as a, as an artistic choice actually
0: because mm, the producer is is Dave Friedman he also produced purple mm-hmm. um and i i really like the way the album's been produced to really bring out the mid range mm-hmm. and and kind of make those those bright melodies cuz this is quite a sort of a bright sounding album. Yeah. Um, and, and kind of make that, that brightness a lot more effective. And I also like the idea of it being at times like an uncomfortable listening experience. There's um I think this album has absolutely sensational use of, of synths and electronics. Mm-hmm. Um not only as like lead lines on some songs, but kind of, you know, where where they would be in sort of in absence of a lead guitar, but also to kind of create this well, was then quite unsettling atmosphere. There's mm-hmm. a there's an interlude called Blankets of Ash mm-hmm. um which is mainly sort of this horrible static sort of crackling that burrows into your ears. Yeah, it's very unsettling. Yeah. And uh, and the final song as well, um Pale Sun. Um going back to what we were saying about John Dyer basically carrying all that emotion in his voice, just you know, a sort of a finishing vocal line that just sort of Echoes desperation mm-hmm. and and sort of as if he's giving up every last breath in his body, um, but then he's being drowned out by these sort of wild screaming synths at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, I think is, you know, I think is absolutely brilliant. Um, a final note on the on the sequencing of the record. Yeah. Um, I really love the way that there are lyrical references to other songs on the album. Mm-hmm. You know, there's the repetition of lines like, I'd do anything to feel like I'm alive again. Cold-Blooded Angels opens like, Cold-Blooded Angels and blankets of ash. Yeah, that. Yeah. Um, and it kind of makes you feel like you have to listen to this album as a whole and in sequence. It's a body of work, for yeah. Sure, yeah. Um, as opposed to sort of like cherry-picking individual songs. Yeah. Um, I've given this album an eight out of ten. Um and it, it kind of feels weird to talk about this album being like the end of an era, because it is the end of that colour cycle. Yeah. Um but it does pose so many questions, you know, positive questions about the future of Baroness and kind of what's next for them. Definitely. Um I think with the last two albums they have stepped further away from that scene of progressive and or sludge and stoner metal bands that they kind of came up with mm-hmm. there's less and less comparisons to mastodon now which is great <laughs> um not not to like diss that scene i think that scene's great but it's sort of saturated to fuck yeah and um and it's now at the point where they're they're kind of like a one-of-a-kind band i mean definitely who else sounds like baroness at this point
1: no one I was just racking my brains there. That was that pause. Yeah. (laughs) 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 It didn't take long. Um, So, Uh, what have you considered? I'm going to back you with the 8 out of 10. Yeah. With everything you you said there.
0: Yeah. I think I probably still prefer purple.
1: I think what's interesting about this album is that if we'd have sat here and done this last week, I might have given it a 7. And, you know, in two weeks' time, maybe I'll give it a 9. And I think Mm. purple was a lot more immediate. Yeah. And this one, I'm still, you know. Working with this one, and and it's still growing on me, I think.
0: But I think, you know, for for, for a kicker, it's fucking good, (laughs) isn't it? Yeah. So that's um, Baroness Golden Grain. That came out on their own Abraxum Hymns label. Alright, so the next album we're talking about comes from Perry Farrell, Um, the figurehead, or I suppose he's been called the godfather. Of alternative rock's golden age, as the as the frontman of Jane's Addiction and uh, Porno for Pyros, mm-hmm. this is his third solo album. It's called Kind Heaven. Um, it's been 18 years since his last solo album. Um, I've gone in a fair bit on Jane's Addiction lately. Um, noticing that I'd never really gone in on them before when I was like getting into Kerrang! TV just because was on the TV quite mm-hmm. a lot. But beyond that, I hadn't really checked them out. So I checked out things like Ritual de la Habitual, which is kind of what people refer to quite often as their magnum opus. Yeah. Um, nothing shocking as well. Um, and I think where they've earned my respect is... Just how they were just such a stark contrast to what was going on in L. A. at that time. Yeah, it was like the golden age of sleaze metal, Motley Crue, and Poison, and what have you. And it was it was sort of equally hedonistic music and mm. and sort of lifestyle wise, but sonically they were just on another level. Definitely, yeah. Um, are you a
1: Jane Addiction fan? I have listened to them and I, I've I've checked them out. I would ne- not call myself an expert on them mm. at all, but. Um, I've checked out the albums, and yeah, they're really, really cool.
0: Um, Porno for Pyros? No, I, I don't. I've not listened to them all that much, no. either. Um, this is also the first solo album I've, I've actually listened to from Perry Farrell. Me too. So, you know, I had I had literally sort of no expectations. Although it was quite cool to see that um, uh, one of the musicians that um, is part of his Kind Heaven Orchestra is uh, Taylor Hawkins from yeah. uh, Foo Fighters. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean Perry Farrell he's just such an eclectic and charismatic personality. Yeah. That I I think you know while we had barely any expectations for this record it, it makes it almost impossible to kind of predict what he'll do musically.
1: Definitely, yeah.
0: Um I I do have a question for you to kind of kick this off. Do you think this album sounds like an album from a 60-year-old man.
1: No. Yeah. Yes and no. <laughs> <laughs> Which feels appropriate when you're talking about Perry Farrell, I suppose. Yeah. Um, yes and no, but mostly no.
0: <laughs> I, I'm not sure, because yeah. because I think for the most part, it's it's not the sort of music that... And not to hold his age against him too much, but, I, you know... It's not the sort of music that I think a man of his age would kind of make sonically. When no. we when we think about some of his peers, like Duff McKagan, just put out like an acoustic Americana record, and yeah. you know, I I I just think you know what he does on this record by comparison is is sort of very surprising for for a man who's sort of been knocking around for for this long now. Yeah. Um, but the way he does it is kind of executed in in quite a quite a mature way. Yeah, I would say. Um, it
1: doesn't sound like he's trying to be a 20-year-old. No. No, I think that's what I meant by, by yes and no. And there are some more old-school influences. Mm, yeah, Definitely.
0: Like the, the opening track. Yes. Sorry, to, sorry to interrupt there, but no, the opening no. track, Red, Red, White and Blue Cheerfulness, mm-hmm. kind of has that skiffily... sixties. jaunty. Yeah, yeah, 60s rock and roll, almost like the small faces and maybe even the Beatles. I
1: found myself... Very glad that the rest of this album doesn't really sound like that first song. Are
0: you not a fan of it at all?
1: I I wouldn't say it made it didn't make me want to press stop and stop listening to it at mm. all. It's not the kind of thing I could listen to twelve tracks of. Definitely
0: yeah. not. Possibly not for me either. I think yeah. it's it's quite a nice, pleasant opener to the album. I quite yeah. like it. Um, but you know, the, the the song that follows it is kind of the single for this album, which is Pirate Punk Politician. Mm-hmm. Now, if you told me that. Um you know it could i I say it could quite easily pass for like a new james addiction single, yeah it's kind of got that decadent vibe to it. I can see Dave Navarro if I close my eyes, I can kind of see him shredding out the guitar yeah um uh while doing a line of coke off of something <laughs> <laughs> possibly a woman <laughs> um yeah, and it's get got out that- the eighties, Dave. <laughs>
1: instrumental and melodic kind of weirdness that you definitely associate with with Jane's Addiction.
0: I I do see what you mean. I think if it wasn't for that second song coming in after Red, White and Blue Cheerfulness, I would start to worry that this is one of those kind of retrograde solo albums from a has-been-80s
1: rock star. Definitely, which is never what you'd expect from Perry Farrell. No, no, it's always been quite
0: forward-thinking.
1: Sure, yeah. I was maybe expecting this album to be slightly weirder. Oh, really? I think it's quite inaccessible album to be honest yeah oh yeah okay fair enough a lot of pop enough. sensibilities i think which mm. I maybe wasn't expecting
0: uh, what what i really like about this album is sort of the moments which uh, are very clearly influenced by sort of rock operas sort mm-hmm. of very siggy stardust vibes on tracks like Snakes have many hips. Yeah. um, Which is, I think, my favourite song on the album, Um, and uh, and more than I could bear as well is massively Ziggy era Bowie. (laughs) Um, You know, there's sort of these floaty, almost quite graceful strings in the background as well, and uh, and you know, I was saying, Perry Farrell's voice is sort of very rich and dramatic, Mm Bowie-esque, and it it just so happens actually that this album was co-produced with Tony Visconti who oh, was cool. Bowie's sort of long-time yeah,
1: producer and collaborator. Know know yeah. yeah. Makes a lot of sense. I mean, did you know that this album is the kind of, at least Perry Farrell says it is, this kind of soundtrack for this Las Vegas experience that he's planning on opening? No, this is I, news to I me. I can't speak to the, how true this is, but right. I mean, I've no reason to doubt him. He's, I believe he's opening some kind of Las Vegas experience called Kind Heaven. Oh right. And this was envisioned as the sort of the soundtrack for it. Which makes a lot of sense because there is a kind of a you said Bowie, almost kind of weird Willy Wonka esque kind of <laughs> musical madman that he is. It's like a kind of a little cruise around his brain, mm. I think, in a way. Yeah. Um and as soon as I as I read that, that that made a lot of sense to me.
0: Yeah, that, that I mean, it's it's bizarre, but at the same time, I'm not in the least bit, sort of, I can't doubt it in the least yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, going back to that, him working with Tony Visconti, it is sort of an immaculately produced album. Oh, yeah. I think the production on this album is fucking amazing, and mm-hmm. I think it does make very good use of sort of contemporary pop and electronic production. Yeah. Um, there's a song called Spend the Body. Mm-hmm. Um, which, when it when it kicks in, it's almost like one of the songs that that RuPaul would kind of plug incessantly <laughs> yeah. on Drag Race. <laughs> that is so. Smart. Bring it to the runway. Bring it to the runway. R- 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 runway. <laughs> Perry Farrell walks into the room first. <laughs> um, would watch. Uh, then there's. Uh, I'd love. Has he turned up? I know Henry Rollins has been on Drag Race before. Yeah. Not not as like a sort of you know no, contestant. Yeah. I mean as a guest judge. <laughs> yeah. Um, and um, there's another song called "Where Have You Been All My Life," which kind of opens on this minimal electronic beat that kind of wouldn't sound out of place on like an album from like the XX or like Flying Lotus or something. Yeah, I've
1: got um, Tame Impala as well. Yeah, a lot yeah. Of on this, yeah.
0: Um, and then it kind of comes in with this semi psychedelic industrial rock jam, which is far more sort of um,
1: his tempo. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. Um, it's real trippy in places, honestly. Yeah. Um, I, w- I would say I- I've given this a 7 out of 10. I think it's quite cool to hear someone of of kind of Perry Farrell's age and experience yeah. kind of incorporating all these different elements, these contemporary elements, without sounding like he's trying to sort of cling on to the remnants of his youth. Mm-hmm. I-, I don't know whether I'll be going back to this for sort of years to come, um, but it kind of has been a very enjoyable album to listen to and to kind of pick apart, and yeah. it's refreshing that someone like perry farrell can just have a go at creating modern pop music and sound as natural
1: as he does on this record sure i i'm gonna go for a seven as well i think you said enjoyable if i if it was scoring it purely out of enjoyability it would be like an 11 i've got this album puts such a smile on my face when i listen to it and My favourite stuff, just quickly, that we haven't mentioned, is uh, the stuff with the female vocals. His wife, I think, Etty Farrell is the female vocalist on songs like uh, Machine Girl, which is my favourite song on the album, Mm. Um, not least because he says the words, you make me growl at party time. (laughs) (laughs) Which is, I think, to do with sex. Do you reckon? Sex, yeah. Say it quietly. (laughs) Sex. (laughs) Sex.
2: We're not making an ASMR <laughs> video here,
0: buddy. We need two mics for that. <laughs> oh, right, so that's um, that's Perry Farrell and uh, and Kind Heaven, and mm. that would explain why the label it's come out on is called Perry Etty VS. I did not yeah. know that. Yeah. Um, right, so um, time to talk about sort of a much younger band, <laughs> um, Dinosaur Pile Up, um, and the album's called Celebrity Mansions. Uh, it came out on Parlophone Records, which mm-hmm. you know it's the big leagues. <laughs> um, it is album number four, so maybe they they've been around a little while. Dinosaur Pile Up, yeah, they um, have over ten years. Though, yeah. yeah, they're the grungy alt rock trio from Leeds. Mm-hmm. If you haven't been acquainted with them before, um, I've always I've always felt like Dinosaur Pile Up are a, a bit of an underdog in this kind of. You know, again, very saturated and, and quite fiercely competitive new wave of Brit rock
1: scene. Yeah.
0: They are adored by a very sort of select audience.
1: By no mm-hmm. means a small audience. No. It's a certain audience for that kind of
2: thing. Yeah.
0: yeah. And they're not necessarily the media darlings. No. Um, they don't get like radio play like a lot of their peers do. Mm-hmm. Um, that is until now. Yeah. Um, I saw Dinosaur pile Up at Download in 2017, and they were very good. Not mm-hmm. not to the point where I sort of felt immediately compelled to go in on their back catalogue, but they they still had some riffs which I kind of took away with me. And Definitely, I think they yeah. did a Weezer cover as well, which was pretty enjoyable at the time. <laughs> I think they did the Sweater song. Oh, or it cool. may have been said ain't so. Yeah. It was something from Blue. Yeah. Um, do you have a sort of a, a better relationship with Dinosaur Pilot than I do?
1: No, I kind of. Um, and this is more a reflection of me than it is of of their previous quality. To be perfectly honest, I kind of just had them pegged as that kind of Brit rock that that I dub Two Thousand Trees Core which is this <laughs> kind of band that seems that, fitting
0: but well, yeah, they're not it's playing the this kind year. of
1: bread and butter of 2000 trees you know and mm. and a lot of them are great bands in their own right it's just they they occupy a very similar sonic space i yeah. think um so i never paid a huge amount of attention to it, them
0: it kind of makes me think that like if they didn't kind of make any bold moves they were kind of going to stay in sort of that mid range
1: yeah. just forever thank god they made some bold moves <laughs>
0: <laughs> I, I was going to say, this This album sounds like a band that is kind of fed up of being yeah. in the kind of nice guys finish last yeah. sort of territory. And, you know, they've just decided to put every scrap of energy that they have left into this record. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of go big or go home for Definitely, them. Definitely, yeah. Um, and it is ludicrously... Absolutely ludicrously brilliant this album. Yep. Um I mean just just to kick it off. I mean those that that first arc of three songs mm-hmm. is as good as it gets for the opening of an album, in my opinion. Yeah. Um Thrash Metal Cassette. Um it, it, you know there, there couldn't be a much clearer statement of Dinosaur Pile-Up kind of going you got us you all got us wrong yeah um, because it's kind of explosively catchy and when uh, Matt their singer goes for those kind of high-pitched screaming vocals <laughs> yeah. he's not a, he's not a mile off of Dave Grohl
1: no, there's a lot of grow on his vocal approach. Yeah, so
0: it, it comes through a couple of times on the album. There's another song sort of around the middle called Pouring Gasoline where mm-hmm. I think he really goes sort of growl on the bridge. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then uh, after the Thrash Metal Cassette, you've got Backfoot. Now I wouldn't be surprised if Backfoot turns up as my most played track of the year when it wow. comes to doing the the Spotify Rewind. Yeah. It's proved quite divisive um, because essentially the sort of the goal that Matt has to do the sort of whitest of white guy rapping <laughs> on this song uh, it's a song you know basically about telling his mum and his kind of peers that he's he's going to be rocking in a band <laughs> in 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 quote marks and kind of it's a big fuck you to anyone that calls him lazy but <laughs> yeah. it's kind of the struggle is real the musical mm-hmm. and it somehow it works so well it shouldn't
1: but it does it's done with such a there's such a kind of British kind of nudge and a wink mm. to him doing this kind of thing it's, so it's he kind of dry it's kind of silly mm. you know but and I think that's why they get away with it and the, the record's all the better for that kind of yeah. thing yeah
0: and then the, the the third song um stupid heavy metal broken hearted Loser a punk <laughs> um it's got the like the pace of Ramones yeah. or like Green Day in their mm-hmm. prime and then the chorus wouldn't have sounded out of place on that Dirty Nil" record, which I liked just a little bit last year. <laughs> yeah. um, but just for that, it's kind of like the opening three songs. How, how do you feel about this record, sir? I've kind of dominated I, um, the chat so no, far. No, I,
1: I would echo everything you've said. I think that this is... It feels like, like you said, there's a kind of a make or break quality to it. And they've really loosened up in terms of the fun elements Um, I've got that it's a bit like when... You know when you get that person at a party that's kind of there and they're dancing a little bit, but they're not really into the thing and then they have, like, three or four shots and some beers and they're really loose and they're, like, going for it and that's kind of what this album's like. (laughs) It's like they've loosened up a lot and it just sounds more fun. I just think this is a massive, massive step up.
0: Yeah, and there are elements uh, of this album which... You know, they haven't just gone... They they have kind of gone all out on this record, but mm-hmm. there are still uh, songs sort of around the middle of the album which do sound more traditionally Dinosaur Pile Up, or what we've known of them in the past. Yeah. Um, songs like Round the Bend and, and Black Limousine. Yeah. Um, kind of takes me back to... You know, outside of dinosaur pileup, it kind of takes me back to "There Is Only You" era
1: excerpts. Definitely some of that, yeah.
0: And they're kind of these arm-swaying festival anthems. Yeah, it, it makes them makes them sound like the kind of band that I would have previously wanted to see open the main stage at Reading mm-hmm. if it wasn't. If if such a situation didn't mean getting fucking eaten and alive, yeah,
1: an opening for Little Easy there, yeah. Or
0: li- <laughs> I was going to say Little Yachty, but like <laughs> Little Yachty, Little Yachty. Oh, wow, that's my rap name. <laughs> Once I go into mumble rap, I'm going to be called Little Yachty. We found the episode title right there. Um, you know, bands like that get eaten alive now. It was, yeah. it was so crushing to watch Creepers set on the main stage of Reading on TV, and mm-hmm. the biggest cheer was Will going, who's excited for Post Malone? <laughs> oh, fuck's sake. Um, I think the second half of the album does kind of capitalise on that. You know, you were saying silly. Um, that sort of very dry and British element that that kind of drives back foot. Yeah. Um, and, and maybe not quite to the... Sort of extent the back foot does, or to the sort of the, the quality the back foot does, but there is this awesome sort of slacker narrative mm-hmm. to uh K West, I think is a real highlight on the yeah. album. Um, professional freak as well, though it kind of pales in comparison to K West. Mm-hmm. Um, I, th- I think either one of those would be like the theme tune of. The stoner kid in your like stereotypical <laughs> teen comedy. Definitely, yeah. But it is very vivid in that regard. Yeah. And, um, yeah,
1: I, I, I don't know what more I can say about this apart from it's fucking brilliant. It really is, yeah. I do think you're kind of, you're going to be on board with this or you're not, and I think we both are. Yeah. And I've been really, really enjoying listening to this album. I think there will be people that maybe can't get on board with that tongue-in-cheek mm. kind of thing that they're going for. But, um... Who cares about those people? Yeah, exactly. Dickheads. Turn this, <laughs> turn this podcast off. You're not welcome Stupid here. Stupid idiots.
0: <laughs> I mean, I, I love this so much that I've actually given this a 9 out of 10. Oh, really? Um, it's proper Stilton at times, and it does use a lot of stereotypes and cliches, but it's it's done in a very tongue-in-cheek manner, um, especially lyrically, but also with, with elements like the cheerleader bridge on thrash metal cassette. Yeah. Um... It's it's such a ballsy record, but I think the payoff is just so worth it. Yeah. People are talking about Dinosaur Pile Up more than ever, I mm-hmm. think. Um they're on a big label now. And yeah. I know that means fuck all, but like, you know, still. And I think this record just has that sense of wild abandon and kind of fuck it attitude, yeah. you know, kicking the fuck it bucket. <laughs> um that that all the, the great punk rock records of the last few years have. And I love it.
1: Yep, me too. It's a a high eight for me. Cool.
0: All right. And Rivers Cuomo, if you are listening, you know that band that supported you at Brixton a few years ago? You should check out this record from them because this is how you do that thing that you did terribly on the Black Album. (laughs) Okay? That's Dinosaur pile with Celebrity Mansions, and that's out now on Parlophone Records. All right, so it's time to... Now we've had a bit of fun... It's time to go back Into experimental territory With our next album uh, Which comes from Pelican Mm -hmm. Um, It's called Nighttime Stories It's album number Six From the uh, Chicago Post-metal Instrumentalists Yeah Um I am going to just sort of come clean uh in this uh in sort of opening this review. This is my first time listening to Pelican properly or like at all, even yeah um have you any prior relationship
1: with them other than hearing the odd song? no, well, I've never fully devoted any time to listening to them no, no, and I think this kind of post metal thing is something that I've really started to discover. In the last couple of years, I think so. mm,
0: it's definitely been kind of driven by that, that Pine record that came out last year and mm-hmm, things like
1: that, yeah. Cult of Luna
0: and uh, yeah. you know, Neurosis, um, very much kind of uh, something I'm still in the sort of discovery phases of. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, Pelican, this is kind of the first time that Pelican's brought out an album since I've been really into this scene, and I mean really into it. I've, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been really into it, <laughs> 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 um. Yeah, I mean the 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 way this album kind of opens. Um the opening track is is called WST. Mm-hmm. Um and I think it really sort of sets the tone nicely for what I was expecting to be this sort of very bleak and ominous and almost quite a doomy post-metal record. Yeah. It kind of and this is, you know, big words. Um but it almost reminded me of the first track on Black Sabbath, by Black Sabbath, which is called Black Sabbath. <laughs> Just sort of tonally.
1: Yeah, no, I, t- I can totally see what you mean there, yeah.
0: I mean, not nearly as good. Still good, but Sabbath, come on. <laughs> um, so, I would say my ears kind of pricked up from the absolute start of this record. Yeah. Which is why I was absolutely crushed ...by what followed. Um, So, I suppose, you know, the the second and third tracks, I would say, um, which are called Midnight and Mescaline Mm -hmm. and Abyssal Plane. Yeah. um, I think by comparison, they're they're sort of very straightforward. Yeah. And to be honest, I find them a little bland. I think there's good hooks, Mm -hmm. but they sound like demos waiting for like some vocals to be laid on top
1: yeah i think uh, yeah i think what you know what i've kind of put is that this is with post metal i i expect a certain amount of kind of patience and some kind of lush instrumentation i think this amps up the metal rather than the post, and I think that's that kind of straightforward thing you're talking about.
0: I don't even know if it's quite metallic. Like, I listened to those those sort of second and third tracks, and I kind of compared it to... Um, and I, I don't mean this in, in sort of insult to them in any way, because I love them dearly, but a band like Lonely the Brave, mm-hmm. a band who are kind of influence-wise, sit somewhere in between Pearl Jam and Explosions in the Sky. Sure. Um, and, you know, I just think what what you were saying about uh, post metal music i think the instrumentation or sorry what i mean is like with any kind of instr- uh, instrumental music yeah the instrumentation has to kind of fill the gap mm-hmm. left behind in the in the sort of absence of vocal harmonies yeah. or like particular sing along moments yeah i think a band that are really good at doing it are russian circles mm-hmm. um sort of filling of the, sp- the the way they fill space is um it's incredible, and um, and I, I just I personally think with those two tracks at least that the use of of space is just sort of not very efficient, and then the production as well sort of leaves a lot to be desired. That's mm-hmm. what I mean. by it. it's kind of got like a demo quality to it, and I feel like this sort of music just kind of really needs a more cinematic production. Sure. Um, luckily, they do kind of claw it back for me a little bit with yep. the, with the following track, which is Cold Hope. Is my favourite track on the record. Um,
1: The heaviest track on the record?
0: Undoubtedly It's sort of, you know, all the way throughout It's about eight minutes long, isn't it?
1: Yeah, it's the longest song
0: And um, it's kind of mainly occupied by these these dense and super sludgy guitars Mm -hmm. The, The sort of guitar tone reminds me a lot of bands like Yob Mm-hmm. And you, you know, we're saying neurosis earlier, yeah. Uh, and it even is something that I wouldn't be ultimately surprised if we hear something like it on that Pine and Conjurer record we've got coming up the These Metal Hands record, yeah. Um, uh, there, there is another song on uh further on the album, it's called Arteries of Blacktop, which does a sort of similar thing, but again, like not as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that that was where it really picked up for me, and I kind of just wished that we had an album of that similar.
1: Yeah, I think I th- it sounds like I like this a little bit more than you. I th- yeah. Um, I think it's good. I, I, I while I sort of agree with everything you've said, it. I, I was kind of fine with how it was. I was. I think I was kind of impressed by how uh, i suppose kind of there's a there's a sort of a tightness and a refinedness i think to the songs that i was not expecting mm mm-hmm. i think in in my opinion um i really really like the title track i think that's got a kind of a real nice vibe to it it sort of reminded me of something you'd hear you kinda of maybe expect to hear on the next Cundra record, obviously minus mm-hmm. those vocals. Um which I which I really enjoyed and I enjoyed this album when it when it went heavier.
0: Yeah, I mean the, the you know what I was saying about Cold Hope I think being my favourite song on the record. I also I, I do really maybe I was a bit harsh because I also do really like um the, the last track on it, Full Moon Black Water. Yeah. Um, again, quite a long song. I think it's somewhere in the region of seven or eight minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I kind of, you know, it's got some proper fucking riffs on it. it kind yeah. of ends the album on a on a slightly more promising note in that regard. But um, what I really like is the way it ends on like a brighter sort of. I've got that lush, down more to it, yeah. more shoegazy element. It's I would like
1: say, a, um, which is what whether this is is something i had made up in my head which is what i was expecting from pelican i wasn't expecting something as kind of heavy and oppressive Mm. in atmosphere as this i was expecting something a little bit more twinkly and and shoegaze influenced
0: and and that comes from your previous experience with them does it i think so
1: (laughs) it's just the expectation i had when i clicked Mm. play whether that is a reasonable expectation to have on Pelican, any Pelican fans listening, please tell me if that is what they usually sound like, or whether I've made that up in my head.
0: I I think it's weird, because this album's about 40 minutes long, which Mm -hmm. is, by sort of post-metal standards, actually quite a short record. Yeah,
1: it's an EP by those standard.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) And... um, and there are sort of several things that I think they do really well on this album. Like I was saying, they do the, the heavy sludgy shit really well. I really like the way it ends on a more shoegazy note. Mm-hmm. I, I, the track we haven't mentioned is a uh, is uh, track called "It Stared at Me." Mm-hmm. I nearly said it's like an instrumental interlude, but that's what the whole fucking album is. It,
1: it's a bit of a reprieve, I think, yeah. from the the atmosphere of this album. Yeah. It's
0: really eerie.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it is eerie, yeah. Yeah. But it's sort of less overbearing, I think. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, I think, you know, clearly there's some very talented musicians mm-hmm. in Pelican. And I think what kind of holds this record back for me is is that there's not a lot of, in the way of, like, progression. Yeah. Um. In most cases, each song kind of starts on one notch and mm-hmm. then just kind of stays there for the whole song. Yeah. Whereas with this kind of music I prefer a lot more build Sure I, th- I think the only song That really builds In a way that I like Is is Forming Blackwater mm-hmm. um, And at that point It's kind of like Oh it's just like A little too late You know Yeah um, Apparently this is This has received Quite sort of widespread acclaim From the critics And apparently okay. it's People A lot of people are calling it The sort of the best album They've ever made Wow Um with that in mind I'm not sure if it kind of compels me to go back and listen to their other albums I must admit this is um, I've given this a 5 out of 10 Okay,
1: I think you know as I said it sounds like I do like it a little bit more than you I think for me with this kind of music um, I often can find post metal and and forms of post rock quite emotive Um, as a listening experience I also find that there's often quite a a few surprises in an mm. album like this. Didn't really get any of that from this. Um, I was very impressed by the musicianship, but that's about as far as it went. Yeah. For me. So um I've given it a seven, a kind of a low seven.
0: Okay. Shall we meet in the middle and give it generally a bitch and brew score of six tea bags out of ten? Yeah. Alright. Shake <laughs> your hand. You didn't spit in it, did you? Uh, You're just sweaty. It is roasting in this car at the moment. Yeah, I'm very, very sweaty. Um, God, I wish we were back in the pub. (laughs) (laughs) So that's um, Nighttime Stories by Pelican, and that's out now on Southern Lord. Um, Right, now for something completely different. Um, Fresh. (laughs) Um, Previously mentioned at the start of this podcast from my live review of them. um, This is the highly anticipated second album, from the London DIY indie punks, um, and it's called Withdraw. Came out on Specialist Subject Records. They are uh, previous guests on the podcast. We've had a couple of the members on the podcast actually. We had George, their bassist, on for the first ever albums of the year special in 2016, mm-hmm. and then we had Catherine, their singer and guitarist, on for a, a podcast in her own right and. Mm it still remains one of i think one of my favorite episodes of the podcast of course awesome. we recorded it in a weatherspoons <laughs> shakespeare's head in weatherspoons if you know the Hoburn area of london shakey's head is what everyone calls it anyway <laughs> um, what what are your thoughts on the self titled debut album because i've been pretty vocal about how
1: much i love it i can't confess to know it all that well right okay uh shameful no no not um, at all. i've heard songs I, um, you know, I go, I cruise through, (laughs) (laughs) thanks for letting me on this podcast, I have heard songs, (laughs) I will talk about songs, um, I've heard songs by Fresh on Spotify playlists and things Mm. and, um, shamefully, stupidly, I've never listened to the first album in its entirety.
0: It's 20 minutes long! Yeah. It's,
1: yeah, okay. I feel bad
0: already, (laughs) don't. <laughs> um, I think it just missed out on my top ten in twenty seventeen um probably would actually be up there now if I redid the list um I still go back to it quite often it's you know like I said it's twenty minutes long of just sort of this bright super melodic scrappy mm-hmm. indie rock that just hits the fucking spot yeah um you know it wasn't anything sort of profound or or even like wholly original mm-hmm. but it's basically just The Sound of Sunshine to me yep yeah. um and you know we reviewed that Martha record on the last show and I kind of alluded to the fact that you know Martha are one of the two bands in this scene you know again quite a saturated scene but yeah. a very good scene nonetheless mm-hmm. um and Martha were one of the two best bands from that scene, fresh of the other one in yeah. my eyes, but uh, sort of honorable mentions to like Happy Accidents and and Wonals, mm-hmm. um, whose record we reviewed back in February. Yeah. Um, Muncie Girls as well, who are, out. yeah, I do love Muncie Girls <laughs> as well. They're, they'd be the top three. Yeah. Sort of a specialist subject uh, generation, sure. uh, sort of crop of bands, yeah. specialist subject records and Big Scary Monsters sort of two labels that that big that lot up quite quite a fair bit and mm. rightly so. Um you know I I love the debut album so much but at the same time I didn't really have any expectation for this record beyond just having like another sort of burst of sunshine from them. Mm-hmm. Um and I think that was kind of informed that, that that there was a kind of a precedent set by the singles on this record which are Going to Brighton mm. um and and Willa. Yeah. And I suppose Fresh have kind of pulled a move on this record for me, which which is quite similar to Baroness. Um, I am dying to find out it's <laughs> going. Fresh now sound like Baroness. Um, yeah, Bar-fresh. no. <laughs> uh, oh, that's terrible. <laughs> um but they they what I mean is they kind of they've they've roped you in with those those initial bursts of sort of melody and yeah. awesome choruses, like the first few songs on this record are kind of what I expected afresh yeah. um there's a song called like nervous energy, which has this really addictive bounce to it mm-hmm. and and kind of puts a spring in your step as you're walking along yeah um but then sort of like after those first few tracks, they go in with some things that. I personally really didn't see coming from Fresh. Yeah. Um you know, this is this is, I believe, their first album with their second guitarist Miles. I think yeah, they recorded think is, the yeah. last album as a three-piece. And I think there's just been a huge increase in dynamics. Mm-hmm. He's kind of added a, a whole other layer guitar-wise to this album. Um and and just the way that the band use their instruments Mm -hmm. you know there's there's tracks like no thanks and and new girl as well which immediately follows no thanks where tonally it's sort of much more comparable to dreamy alternative pop music
1: yeah there's a dream pop vibe on those definitely
0: yeah and i I really like some of the interesting things that um like dan's doing percussively Mm -hmm. while while still keeping it sort of relatively simple i'm not saying he's like Going into sort of Danny Carey from Tool territory <laughs> uh, on this record, but he's still doing some quite interesting things.
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: Um, yeah. So, um, what what do you think of Withdraw from Fresh?
1: I think um, you, you've definitely taken the words out of my mouth there. Sorry, we, we mate. you just no, that's fine. You you, you can have them. Um, <laughs> uh, I obviously I didn't have any expectations for this album as we've as we said, um, mm. and. Uh, basically after my first listen just absolutely loved it this is a nice warm reassuring hug of an album i think yeah it's just so nice and i think um i've found myself really occasionally with albums i find myself really drawn to the artwork this album's got like a really nice artwork that if you kind of look at the artwork as you listen to it it really kind of bolsters the experience yeah and Draws you in with that kind of sunny window, yeah. The sun kind of coming through the window, and um,
0: the potted plant as well, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Um, it's very
0: hooger, <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, it just it encapsulates the vibe, I think, really, really well. Um, no thanks is my favorite song, yeah. I think it might
0: album. be mine as well, yeah. I think that's a really, um. um a really sort of a almost like a sharp left turn for fresh, but yeah, one I,
1: that one that's sort of been pulled off extraordinarily well, really, really well. Yeah, um, and and wasn't what I was expecting to hear, really, on on this album. Mm. Um, I think um, Catherine Woods is is the vocalist. Is, that's right, isn't it? Yes, yeah, Catherine um, Woods. The her lyricism and the relatability and the honesty and defiance mm. in all of her lyrics um is amazing yeah you know and and if if i latched onto anything at least initially that it was that um and if um i think i like this more than i liked that martha album yeah i reviewed. do too I And do i think too. the the lyricism and and the vocals are probably why
0: mm. Yeah, I mean, Catherine's always had a very sort of confessional style of songwriting. You can actually go back; we we talk about it briefly uh, on when she was on the podcast, and it it really does kind of befit this genre. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I mean, what you were saying about sort of honesty and defiance, she's really kind of taken it to another level on the on the sort of the last two songs proper mm-hmm. of this record, which are Nothing and Revenge. Mm-hmm. Um, sort of Nothing is almost quite sort of folksy it's her and and a guitar and some some glockenspiel it's kind of got almost like a juno soundtrack vibe to it um and then revenge by sort of contrast has this rousing sing-along of i am valued i am loved yeah i will get revenge on anyone who's done me wrong or everyone who's done me wrong
1: defiance i was talking about massively isn't
0: it well yeah i mean both songs have this really sort of heartwarming message of self-love um And, you know, like RuPaul says, if you can't love yourself, how in the hell are you going to love somebody else? (laughs) Brad, can I get a motherfucking amen? Yeah.
1: Yeah? No, I'm not going to say that. All right,
0: fine. (laughs) Screw you then. Uh, Yeah, I mean, Catherine's progression on this record, certainly vocally. She's always been a great singer, and her vocals... Just so sweet. I, yeah. I couldn't really think of a better way to put it. No, I don't mean it in a belittling way at all, but she's, she's really just the sort of sweetest person as mm-hmm. well. She's lovely. Um, just an absolute sort of gem of a human being. Yeah. Um, and I just think, you know, you listen to a song like Getting Ready, mm-hmm. um, and it just kind of goes to show how she's improved her range and her ability to, like, sustain notes. Yeah. Um, and uh, the other song I want to uh, shout out as well is Punisher, uh, it has like do what vocal melodies that remind me of the Beths, yeah. who they did go on tour with last year. Oh. Uh, so I think there may have been a little bit of influence picked up from the Beths in that regard. Yeah, yeah. And then it has a summer loving reference <laughs> at the end, which uh, yeah, when I um, when I first heard it, I laughed my ass off. I think, <laughs> but it's done brilliantly. Yeah, um, yeah the, I. I you know, in kind of in in summary, um, oh, I I, nice. don't, I don't think I was really sort of expecting fresh to step it up like they they have on withdraw. Mm-hmm. But, at, but at the same time, I'm I'm not surprised. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, even if I am in the least bit surprised, it's it's obviously pleasantly and at the moment they are kind of two for two and and making some of the the best music coming out of that scene you should really go back and listen to the first album oh, I, it is 100% great. Over, yeah um, you know i feel like withdraw is going to kind of help them really shine through this crop of bands like they really deserve to yeah um and you know what i was saying about it being sort of a step up this one is also just sort of 26 minutes long yeah. which is which is about the length of my commute so <laughs> if i've had a shit day I'll stick this on. It's just this record all the way home. Yeah. And it's awesome.
1: <laughs> so for me, um, 80 bags out of 10. Wow. Okay. Um. Yeah, I agree with everything you said. I feel like I maybe I haven't hammered home or emphasised how much I really, really, really love this record. Uh, emphasised away. Resonated with me um, more than I think any of these kind of DIY style bands that we've we've reviewed a few of them mm. on the show now and I don't think any of the albums have resonated with me as much as this i mean there are a whole load of lyrics from this album that i would gladly get tattooed on my forehead or something um (laughs) maybe not forehead um (laughs) uh it's a nine for me wow fantastic oh that's awesome
0: to hear that's great
1: 100% be going back
0: to check out that debut so that's uh Fresh with Withdraw out on the very awesome specialist subject records. So while we're on the subject of bright and melodic, light-hearted indie pop, let's talk <laughs> about Fuming Mouth. Um yeah, this is the uh the debut album from the uh Massachusetts 4 piece. Um something of a, a long-awaited debut, mm. certainly sort of in the underground. Um, this is the first time I've actually like, heard or even heard of this band, but they've been making music since uh, 2013, and uh, as you would imagine, of a sort of indie pop band of their calibre, <laughs> uh, they've been sharing stages with the likes of uh, Vane, uh, Max and Eagle Cavalera, and Trap Them. So if you still think they're indie pop, then you clearly can't pick up on my sarcasm, because <laughs> they're just fucking disgusting. This sound, by the way, is called The Grand Descent. Um, And a little bit of a shout-out to Tim Birkbeck on this one. Um, Host of the Just an Insight podcast, go and check it out. And subject of pretty much at least one shout-out per episode. I was going to say, he gets a shout-out every month. Well, he deserves it. He does deserve it. Top
1: shagger. Top shagger. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Um, Yeah, he, he brought this one to my attention. And we've already discussed a lot of records within the sort of... I don't want to say like the post-Code Orange realm of bands, but I sort of do mean the post-Code Orange realm of bands that are just sort of trying to make the most sort of abrasive, disgusting noise. Yeah. Kind of the band's taking metalcore back to its original meaning as well. Sure. Marrying more traditional extreme metal with hardcore. Yeah as opposed to the sort of embarrassment that was metalcore at the turn of the decade, Mm -hmm. Um, that I somehow loved (laughs) at at the time. I used to be a Woe Is Me fan. Christ knows why I put
1: myself through that. We didn't know any better.
0: Oh, I know, right? Curse you, (laughs) Impericon! Um... Yeah, I mean, looking at the artwork of this album, we're saying about the fresh artwork being quite evocative. um, And and looking at photos of the band as well, they're kind of all, all the photos are in black and white. They're sort of stood in what looks like to be like a cellar or some sort of dungeon. Yeah. They've got the hair covering their faces. They've all got long hair covering their faces. They're kind of up against the stone wall. It almost seems like an old school death metal photo shoot. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of I kind of knew There was going to be Something a bit darker To this record Sure um, Sort of within that That realm of bands and Yeah Much much like that Venom Prison record Mm-hmm um, Now I would say This is not as good As that Venom Prison record No um, But That said That would be a really Fucking tall order Yeah that's I, lo- a bar. I love that Last Venom Prison record And I think You do too Don't you Yes Um I'd say this is maybe closer to Venom Prison's early material, like even sort of pre Animus. Yeah. Um both both in terms of the sort of the quality and because this band still has its roots sort of firmly planted in hardcore, I sure. would say. Yeah. Um so yeah, what what are you saying about um uh, fuming mouth and I'm the grand ascent?
2: It's
1: hella crusty it might be the crustiest album that we've talked about on this podcast it, it really does you can chisel off the crust can't you you could but why would you want to it's gloriously crusty <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to stop saying crusty now um, there is um, as you rightly pointed out a lot of death metal I yeah. think, in this um, but a kind of a pinch of the more certainly the energy of the more kind of cutting edge of hardcore yeah your Code Oranges your Jesus Pieces your Veins yeah and so on
0: there's some proper power violence shit going on as well especially yeah. like the guitar tone just kind of reminds me of bands like Nails and <laughs> Full of Hell or yeah. like Magruder Grind did you ever check those out a few years ago
1: I know of them yeah yeah, yeah.
0: you know proper power violence yeah um What you're saying about the death metal, uh, there's a song called "Nothing to Bleed." Mm -hmm. I think it might even be like the second track on the album. Um, It is called here a bit of like, sort of guttural death metal vocals over like this, typically four to the floor sort of shit kicking hardcore beat. I thought that was a nice little flourish. Yeah, Um, I'd almost want them to do that a little bit more on the record, to be honest, Mm -hmm. because otherwise it is sort of quite, not tough guy hardcore vocals, but mostly sort of. Uh, sort of shouted as
1: opposed to sort of growled yeah sure in a way yeah um I really like this album but but I don't have a huge amount to say about it no Um, no which we've said about albums before it's not necessarily a damning thing it does kind of speaks for itself doesn't it it does it it sort of does one thing and it does it very, very well. Yeah, I think, and very, very competently in terms of taking different elements from from different mm. heavy genres, um, and then using them to repeatedly smash you around the face for <laughs> the duration. I, I would say it still does plenty of stuff. It's got a lot of stuff going
0: on. Like, there's a, there's a song called "Burning Hand." I think probably my favourite song on the record, mm-hmm. um, which has a, a sort of more heightened sense of groove. Like, the bridge has this really cool bass line. Yeah. Um, and then uh, towards the end of the song, there's, like, the cheeky bending of the string, mm-hmm. which kind of, like... You know, it's down tune guitars, which automatically, like, just go sort of screw face to at this point. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's some screw...
1: <laughs> yeah. I think there, there is... Um... There's definitely some really, really cool flourishes. Yeah. I think maybe I'm speaking as someone that has been utterly spoiled uh, by a wave of hardcore bands that that really do a lot more over the canvas of an album. And I, yeah. I think um, I really like the way a Fuming Mouth take it back to something maybe a little bit more old school. Yeah, you know, yeah. Approach.
0: At the, at the same time, they kind of do some modern and quite sort of left of centre stuff as well for me. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you picked up on this, but um, another favourite track for me is almost like kind of an interlude track. It's called Distant Voice, mm-hmm. um, which has this sort of broody, post-metallic vibe. And, you know, rather aptly, it has a sort of a distant vocal um, yeah. really far back in the mix. And it's, it's very sort of melodic and ethereal mm-hmm. and, um, you know... It, that 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 I think is pretty cool it's eventually sort of just everything's just washed out by this sort of horrid wave of feedback which <laughs> and it feels like that goes on for like for fucking ever yeah, yeah um and and the 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 sort of ethereal vocals do come back on the last song which i think is called half life
1: yes do you say yeah yeah um very very kind of subtly incorporates those kind of harmonies in the sort of the background mm. of the mix i think which is for me was a was a nice kind of hint um Quite an expanded musical palette, I think which mm-hmm. which makes me very excited for f- fuming mouse
0: future yeah I don't know if they've ever been over to the UK before but I'd certainly be up for checking out a show oh yeah definitely um yeah I've given this 70 bags out of 10 um a couple of the tracks just do kind of wash over me yeah, yeah. um I mean to put it into pers- perspective I had this album playing on Spotify and um after the album ends it obviously starts a Spotify radio mm-hmm. um I hadn't noticed that it had done this <laughs> um and then I also noticed the fact that the first song on the Spotify radio was actually Half-Life the last song on the the album oh. so i actually just played half-life twice and i didn't pick up on it which kind of is is sort of a yeah uh sort of symbolizes what this record kind of does
1: definitely um it's a seven out of ten for me i think uh, uh, one final thing i'd just like to shout out is the production of this album i think it's just got a really gargantuan sounding yeah production that i think for, for a record as heavy as this really kind of bolsters the impact of it.
0: Yeah. I don't think we've been too damning of this record. I think if you do like
1: this shit, then definitely go check this out. Yeah, for a debut album, it's super promising. I yeah, think. and
0: it, it is not the most original of albums when you consider just how many of these fucking records we've had in the last few years. But there, are, there is enough going on here that just kind of makes me think that's, that's quite different to what a lot of the bands are doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you can't pick up on that, well, it is just... It is crustier than 14-year-old Brad's pillow.
1: I thought you were going to say something else Then I'm glad you said pillow. Yeah. <laughs> Let's move on. Yeah. <laughs> um, right, the
0: next one. Um, technically came out in late May. This should be like a sort of a disclaimer at this point. But we sort of mutually decided that it deserves a place in this episode. Yeah. Um for reasons we will no doubt be exploring. Mm-hmm. Um, the band are called Her Name is Colour and uh, the album is called Animal Quiet. It's self-released. Um, Her Name is Colour were a, a Leicester slash Leeds-based four-piece. Um, I quite like the fact that in sort of research for this, I saw their Facebook bio, they just referred to themselves as a collection of people with different social problems. <laughs> um, now, I say that Her Name is Colour were... Uh, sort of a band um, because they have officially split up um, they played their last show at a, a sort of a festival don't ask me what festival because I don't know mm-hmm. um, around the release of this album it was either like just before or just after the release of this album mm-hmm. um, and and they're gone now they've split up and um, I don't know anything beyond that what reasons or whatever this no. is literally the first time I've checked out this band and th- and this record has had a sort of a limited amount of me- mainstream sort of media coverage yeah um, but you know what has been sort of the, the coverage that there has been of this record there's been th- they kind of call themselves a post-rock band but the sort of frequent point of comparison for a lot of people is Radiohead Yeah um now i understand that you're a little bit more of a radiohead fan than i am is that a fair assumption yeah
1: i would have okay computer in in the conversation with my favorite records of all time definitely right okay um there are albums of radioheads that i can't confess to be expert on but as a band yeah i'm a fan i I think those radiohead comparisons
0: are fair i i don't Know a huge amount about Radiohead. Okay. It's, it's one of my most shameful admissions, really. Um, but I would say, you know, Tom Tom Morris, their singer, there are sort of a lot of comparisons. You know, th- he does have a sort of lot of parallels. I mean, with with Tom York, definitely, which is a big yeah. old compliment to him. <laughs> yeah, definitely, um, and a, and a compliment he kind of deserves. For sure, yeah. Um, so as a as a final album from Her Name Is Calla. Um, what do you think of Animal Choir?
1: I think, myself included, there's going to be a lot of people very sad that they've only just kind of discovered them and they've broken <laughs> up because this is a phenomenal final album. Yeah. Yeah, it's a phenomenal album. Um, I should preface this review, I think, by saying that I personally feel, I'm not sure about you, I've been listening to it for about three weeks, Um don 't really think i 've scratched the surface or barely scratched the surface really
0: no i um i 've listened to this record maybe in full about three or four times mm-hmm. yeah, just for the amount of time that i 've had with definitely. it definitely and it 's a it 's a long
1: album as well
0: yeah it 's eighty minutes long mm-hmm. and you know I would additionally preface this by saying that you know, this is not the kind of record that you can just sort of stick on and have playing in the background. No. Because otherwise, a lot of it will just kind of wash over you. Mm-hmm. If, you if you're if you going in on this record, kind of block out the 80 minutes that it, that it sort of takes to listen end-to-end to this record and kind of absorb it. Yeah. Um, it's very cinematic yeah. in that regard. You know, it's a bit like when you go to the cinema and it's the only time you actually pay attention to a film. <laughs> I'm still one of the old-fashioned ones that actually does turn their phone off and doesn't just put it onto airplane mode. Oh, really? Yeah. Are you just an airplane mode guy? Yes,
1: but I must admit I don't have any trouble ignoring it in a cinema.
0: Heathen. <laughs> <laughs> you philistine. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I don't really know where to start. Should we start with like the the sort of opening arc of sort of three songs? Yes. Because I think it kind of symbolises just how. Much stuff is going on on this record Yes um, Certainly makes Fuming Mouth seem like a bit of a one track album
2: <laughs> When I say there's
0: a lot of stuff going on on the Fuming Mouth album It's absolutely nothing compared to um, Animal Choir Because it opens on Swan Yeah um, Which is unfathomably heavy Yeah um, Again, not in a Fuming Mouth way <laughs> Um I mean it more in a sort of it's it's quite imposing and quite weighty yeah um and it's almost almost like quite dirgy mm-hmm. and there's like a war march vibe to it
1: yeah yeah um, no, re- yeah definitely it
0: um it has quite sort of a mournful brass line as well yeah um almost reminds me of the way um Bonaire Boniverre opens on Perth. Mm-hmm. If you recall that at all,
1: I I can't no, I don't specifically oh, okay. recall that. Yeah, um, Bonavera is something that I would name check when talking about this album, just generally. Yeah,
0: but bon, bon Iver, um, Cigarettes, yeah, sort of uh, you know the more sort of post-rocky bands like Explosions in the Sky and, and Caspian, and you know even like you know more indie-leaning bands like the National. Mm-hmm.
1: Definitely, oh that's yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, Following on from that uh, uh, You know what I was saying about Perry Farrell Sounding almost like sort of Ziggy Era Bowie on mm-hmm. his album I think uh, Tom Tom Morris Almost sounds like Blackstar era Bowie In just sort of the frailty of his vocals Yeah um, And just sort of the, the slight sort of Storyteller um, Personality yeah. that he kind of brings to it I think
1: Blackstar is a really good touch point For yeah. this album now that you say that actually The emotionality of it. yeah. it
0: um, Is and emotionality then, a word? Uh, just emotion, I think, man. Okay, the emotion. I mean. Yeah. <laughs> um, then it follows into the rift, and, you know, it, it couldn't be more different, really. It's upbeat by comparison, um, but not really that upbeat at all. It's sort of got this almost folksy instrumentation. Um, but the end segment of the song has this almost quite gothic rock vibe about it. Yeah. It reminds me of bands like The Cult um, and. Yeah, the cult, really. <laughs> um, sort of Sisters of Mercy, if they weren't so sort of industrially yeah, leaning. Sure. Sort of almost kind of got a post punk element to it. Mm. Um, and then you've got Kaleidoscoping. Yeah. And, you know, talking about those Radiohead comparisons, it's one of the saddest but kind of most beautiful songs I think I've ever heard.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Or like or that I've heard in like the last few years it's so delicate.
1: Yeah. Um yeah, I think those there's a, there's a couple of kind of quieter we're kind of going through um chronologically but there's a couple of of noticeably quieter moments on the album. I think uh, Kaleidoscoping, uh Vanguard later on in the album. Yeah. Jump ahead a little bit. Love Vanguard. They have um the interesting thing about the Radio compar- Radiohead comparison, sorry, with this album. Radio mine, right. sorry. <laughs> is um is that they this album is so um a kind of eclectic mm. across its across its palette that they pull from every kind of era of Radiohead, which is an extensive eclectic mix of sounds and those quieter moments, I think, really, really recall um, a moon-shaped pool, which was the latest Radiohead album. Right. Okay. It's not an um, album I've gone in on. I'll be honest. It's um, it's an incredibly quiet, but uh, quite unsettling and and almost dreamlike yeah, album. Yeah, I
0: mean, I've heard two songs from that album. Is it Daydreaming and uh, Burn, Burn the Witch? The Witch. Yeah. yeah,
1: the the lead singles, um, which are quite a good encapsulation of what that record does. To, I need to, to go back to that extent. record. Um not dissimilar to this record in terms of requiring you to, you know, set aside the time and and invest in it. Yeah. Um,
0: But then at the same time, you've got a track like a modern Vespa, um, which it's weird. It not only sort of, it it switches from minimalist sort of soundscape territory (laughs) to this dark pounding, industrial,
1: electro-pop. I thought I had a slight handle on what this record was doing Yeah. the first few songs. Okay, it's doing a kind of... There's lots of different things going on with the instrumentation, but it's essentially doing the kind of quiet and loud sort of um, dynamic things. Uh, And then a modern Vespa comes in with this synth, disco, beat (laughs) thing. And I realized I had no fucking idea what this <laughs> what this band are doing with this record. It's just
0: the way that it not only does that I mean that takes some serious fucking nerve to do that <laughs> yeah. but it does so seamlessly yeah
1: it it's not out of place, but at the same time the first time you hear it, you're like, "What the fuck you know it's, yeah it's i a song has not made my ears prick up that much in not that I can recall to be honest right okay yeah that was it. that was an incredible moment on first listen and uh maybe my favorite song on the album
0: right okay Go, going back to you know what we were saying about the sort of the softer material on this record mm-hmm. softer maybe not being the right word the sort of the more stripped back material yep. um i'd say the second half of this album seems to have much more of a sort of running theme sonically mm-hmm. um than than the sort of first half 'Cause the modern vesper is kind of towards the end of the the first half of the record, if you will. Yeah. I think I think the first the first uh the sort of second half starts with the song Frontier. Mm-hmm. Um and I'd say in that second half of the um there's still like a lot going on, but it's largely these sort of very minimalist pieces, each around sort of seven or eight minutes long, starting with just a piano or like a single guitar melody and and some violin and then some vocals. Mm-hmm. But then they build to these sort of stunning and and poignant climaxes, yeah. And crescendos. Yeah. Um Frontier is an ex- excellent example of that. It has that yeah. final sort of repeated refrain of "of love will bring you back to me," which is just so sort of theatrical and elegant. Mm-hmm. Um, to the other is another brilliant example of that. You've already mentioned Vanguard, um, which uh, I think is a sort of the shining moment for the drummer whose name I don't actually have written down I'm afraid Um, but I love the way their their drummer kind of rips around the kit at the end of that Mm -hmm. it's it's really cool they've almost got a sort of uh, improvisational jazz style of drumming throughout this record you hear very sort of nuanced occasional sort of rattles around the kit which just kind of yeah, a more sort of reminiscent of like a contemporary jazz drummer as for opposed sure, to a sort yeah. of
1: a sort of more straightforward rock drummer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think another song which is a massive highlight for me is um A Moment of Clarity. Mm. Um there's a little bit of trumpet, I believe it's trumpet anyway in there, that um reminded me a little bit of Foxing, that album that I I knew you would say so that, much. yeah. Um straight away. Um there's also that that kind of refrain that repeated lyric of um that sound is the crunch of the human spirit breaking that so kind of sinister and um quite graphic graphic and quite loaded yeah That's yeah. um that's an amazing song um this is uh it's a really quite an emotional, and I found it very emotional quite affecting listen every time mm. I've kind of gone in. And I think you said you only listened to it three or four times. I think it might be four or five for me, but certainly no more than that because it, it can be quite a difficult. Yeah. Listen, I think because it's so emotional.
0: It requires deep focus, but mm-hmm. it's so rewarding as a result. Yeah, definitely. And I do think for that reason, I've I've given this eight tea bags out of ten, mm-hmm. um, and that may seem like quite a low mark. I think this is a phenomenal record, but I just I don't think I've developed. The sort of level of emotional connection that I think I will eventually develop with this record. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I need to give it more sort of undivided attention. Sure. Um, my, my love has only really sort of grown for it with each listen. If you think I'm kind of being a bit sort of quick to critique it, yeah. yeah we are on a bit of a we are on a bit of a schedule, but same, <laughs> you know I have listened to this album a fair bit, considering it is eighty minutes long, and yeah I've only grown to love it more with each listen and I would like to think that just from the increased attention brought to colour from from this record that they would maybe reconsider their disbandment
1: yeah i mean i mean if any of them are listening please yeah um <laughs> pretty please <laughs> uh I do agree. Um, with what you said and I, I'm kind of going along similar lines to you although I'm going to give it a 9 okay, understandable um, For sure, I think this is an absolute musical masterpiece mm. I think um, and I would not be surprised if we we're talking about this in a few months time
0: wink wink, nudge nudge
1: yeah, winky winky, nudgy nudgy
0: <laughs> 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 you know it, it I, I would say that you know, if they don't get back together, I, I guess you you could really say that Animal Choir is uh, is quite the swan song for ah. them. See, it's funny because uh,
1: thank you, thank you very much.
0: It's funny because they have a song called yeah, Swan on it, yeah. and it's animal. And, yeah, is yeah. It
1: the artwork is a swan as well, isn't it? Yeah, not? yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Bloody hell. Brilliant. Cool. Excellent. Right,
0: let's talk about one more album, then we're getting the fuck out of here because it's <laughs> too hot in this car to even think anymore. Uh, right, you've waited long enough. It's time to talk about the St. Pierre Snake Invasion um, and their sophomore album, uh, Caprice Enchante This, uh, yeah, this comes four years on from uh, the Bristolian Five Pieces uh, first album, mm-hmm. 100 Years a Day. Um, which at the time I'll, I'll be honest it sort of completely passed me by mm-hmm. um I didn't really know a great deal about this band until they kind of came around with this record, yeah, but uh what I do know is that there was a lot of things that kind of got in the way of the making of this record, and it's taken a long time for them to put it out, yeah so so much so that they've actually had like lineup changes since they finished the record hmm. um the, the bass on this record is actually provided by the now bassist of Black Peaks, Mr. Dave Larkin, um, which is, you know, very telling. Yeah, yeah. Um, what, you know, I, I, being this is the first time that I listened to the St. Pierre Snake Invasion, I, I kind of had to go back and check out 100 Years a Day as well. And um, what what is really awesome to hear um, is that 100 Years a Day was like this, this brilliant mix of post-hardcore and garage rock yeah i would say are yeah. sort of the main two focal points mm-hmm. they could do go off into some proper experimental esoteric mathy territories at times yeah um but those are sort of you know they do c- kind of keep quite a strong foundation in those two subgenres yeah, if you will so so um what is what is absolutely magnificent to hear because um, I'm just going to come clean I fucking love this record mm-hmm. um, Is that they've gone even stranger And even more <laughs> sort of esoteric On um, on, Capri- uh, on Caprice Enchante mm-hmm. um, Yeah, there is There is something sort of Strangely enjoyable About listening to an album like this From a band who Appear to be out to just sort of Torment the listener yeah. Uh, and, and kind of fill their ears with as, as much torturous kind of noise <laughs> as possible. Yeah. And just to completely sort of bewilder them. Yeah. Um, like Saint-Pierre do on this
1: <laughs> album. Would you agree? I would. I would agree. I think um, I really like the first album. I was late to it. Um, they played Jamie Lemon's Lenmania Festival uh, a couple well, yeah. of years ago. Yes. Oh, fantastic. Um, and a band that I hadn't really I'd heard of them I didn't know anything about them they made a real impression on me live that day mm. um and I checked out the album I think what they've done on this album I think is um they were out to piss people off I think on that first album mm. um but they've refined it and um I don't want to use the word the the term grown up because I think that's used so much mm. in music criticism but I think Refined is good. There's a, there's a, they've refined the approach, I think, this time out. Yeah. And, and thus made it more effective, I think. Yeah.
0: I would say, you know, like, what, what you're saying about making it more refined, there, there are lead hooks on this yes. album, like, real catchy stuff. Yeah. Undeniably so. There's, uh, like, the lead single, Casanova Cane. Mm-hmm. Just goes, it goes so hard, but it kind of reminds me of what Milk Teeth were doing really early on. Yeah Um sure. uh, Brain Dead as well Which mm-hmm. I think was the other single If I'm, if I'm I not so, mistaken yeah, yeah. Um, And and also um, Sort of around the middle of the album The Idiot's Guide to Music Yeah Which swaggers along with this Again quite slackery Post Nirvana Yeah I don't necessarily I don't know if that's maybe an unfair comparison Um but sort of almost like an early brick pop vibe, mm-hmm. just in the way it sort of sways along rhythmically.
1: Yeah, there's real, real growth, I think, as songwriters on this album and, yeah. and earworms, I think, to be honest.
0: At the same time though, you know, like I think it is particularly on the title track. Um Damien Sale, their their singer, mm-hmm. he kind of parallels with there, there were his his vocals are sort of quite hard to nail down and kind of find a point of comparison. But one that I did write down is that when he kind of goes a bit more sort of shrieky and intense, mm-hmm. he almost parallels with Greg Pachato from Dillinger Escape Plan. Yeah. Um, like on Dillinger's more sort of palatable material. Yeah. If if you can call it that, <laughs> songs like um sort of Prancer and um. Limerent Death mm-hmm. uh, what was the song from um, Ironworks? not Black Bubblegum uh, Milk Lizard yes um, Sorry, I went blank. <laughs> Yeah, yeah um, you know it, it's sort of very shrieky but it's still tuneful for sure I would yeah. say um, a- another track which I love as well um, not to kind of draw too many comparisons because they're like a lot of the conversation around this album has been around it sort of harking back to some of the originators of like post hardcore bands yeah. like refused and at the drive in and I yeah. know McCluskey has been a big comparison, but I'm not overly familiar with McCluskey, so no. Reuben as well yeah um the 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 finishing song "I am the Lonely tourist it 's almost reminiscent of kind of like Siamese dream by smashing Pumpkins yeah. as a sort of very lush and sort of mellow vibe, but there's still little sort of pangs of guitar that leave you feeling really quite uneasy, yeah, yeah. And I think that's a brilliant sort of encapsulation of of how this record is. Yeah. It constantly keeps you on edge. Definitely.
1: I think, um, you know, not to keep mentioning other bands in regards to this album, but it's it's one of those albums I think that can be quite hard to describe without, I guess, the touch points, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Um, The album it reminded me most of, uh, perhaps weirdly, um, was the debut Heck album. The debut and only Heck album? Yes, Yeah. yeah. Um, in terms of, you know, being quite an intense, at times punishing, mm-hmm. difficult listen, but still with an ability to craft really, really memorable songs. Um, there's a song called "Not All Who Wonder Are Lost" that really reminded me of of that band. Yeah. Um, which is no bad thing. Yeah, no. Um, this is a really, really impressive step up and a and a real statement, I think.
0: And we haven't even mentioned the sort of the really weird elements of this album, like It Gave a Lovely Light, which is strangely beautiful, it's yeah, almost a sort of it's acapella delta blues, chain gang kind of thing going on.
1: For sure, yeah. A um,
0: lot of sort of call and response vocals. Yeah, uh, it
1: kind of wouldn't be out of place on uh, an album that is you know, It has nothing to do with this genre, or
0: yeah. Like a hip hop album or something like that, yeah, or like a sort of a sort of rootsy blues album, like Alabama yeah. Shakes or yeah, Gary yeah. Clark Jr. or something Definitely. like that. It's um, through me, through me, off, yeah,
1: to throw that in, but it, yeah, it really
0: really works. I suppose to kind of th- to round this off, um, you know, I, I, I had written down in my notes a lot, um, that when I when I first started getting into a sort of rock music properly when I was sort of early teens and I was sort of reading Kerrang! magazine there was there was this wave of moderately progressive but still sort of heavy post-hardcore bands mm-hmm. uh, sort of circa 2007 2008 bands like Reuben yeah. Hawkeyes Blackfish mm-hmm. to a lesser extent your codename is Milo um, the James Cleaver quintet as well yeah um sort of early, early, early Marmosets. Yeah. Um, A lot of those bands, obviously, like, except for Marmosets, a lot of those bands kind of died out. Yeah. Um, And, you know, it felt like there was definitely a scene of that kind. Uh, there there was certainly an absence of that wave of bands. Mm-hmm. There were sort of bands that would, would come and go. Um, You know, we've spoken about Heck. We've spoken about Zokes as well. I think we're brilliant. Yeah brilliant band that were gone too soon feed the rhino um but it feels like now for the first time since that sort of what a decade ago yeah there is this wave of bands that st ps snake invasion are very much at the forefront of in my eyes i think this is an absolute triumph of a record that kind of puts them at the front of this wave of of brilliant british bands right now bands you know that we a few of them we've mentioned at this point like Foxjaw and Tiger Cub, mm-hmm. Gold Key, yeah. Sawyer, Petrol Girls as well, mm-hmm. um, through to like like the bigger acts like Black Peaks and I suppose Jamie Lemon is kind of the elder statesman Definitely, of, of yeah. this of this wave because he was there originally with Reuben and yeah. you know maybe even Marmot's still now but they've kind of grown a little bit more commercial while still staying heavy. Yeah. I feel like there is less commercial pressure on these bands than there was 10 years ago, just because mainstream success for for guitar bands, unfortunately, it does seem more unobtainable than ever. For Sure. But, you know, while that's something we may have bemoaned previously, I think it's something we should be grateful for, in a way, because that reduced pressure kind of gives bands kind of carte blanche to do whatever they want and yeah, and just his
1: creativity definitely for
0: sure you you don't have to second guess anyone um I, I mean Damien has said Damien seems like a very sort of um intelligent and well spoken and opinionated but very charismatic man mm-hmm. um I'd very much like to get him on the podcast. Quite soon, (laughs) Um, Damien has said in interviews that he he sort of said he'd rather have Saint Pierre be a Pixies instead of a Nirvana. Yeah, they're from Bristol, so they have quite a close connection with Idols. Yeah, and obviously with Idols blowing up right now, um, you know you can you can tell that Damien doesn't necessarily want Saint Pierre to become this massive big deal. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think as a result. I I really do think we have a serious, serious contender for Album of the Year here. Yeah. St. Pierre Snake Invasion clearly don't give a fuck. (laughs) And that's brilliant. So for that reason... Sorry, I went off on a bit of a tangent there. But uh, Caprice Enchante, I've given it 90 bags out of 10. Uh,
1: I am going with a a very, very high 8, I think. Okay. I think... Again, we'll probably be talking about it in a few months' time.
0: I would be very surprised if yeah. we weren't. Yeah. Which is awesome,
1: now that we're talking about some of these albums that
0: we will be bringing up again at the end of yeah, the year, because yeah. it certainly didn't feel that way at the start of the year. No, it
1: didn't. Um, yeah, this is a phenomenal album.
0: Yeah. So, uh, it's Pierre Snake Invasion. Um, the album's called Caprice Enchante. Is it self-released? I think
1: it might be. I couldn't say.
0: Yeah. It's either self-released or out on a very good record label. Insert good record label. <laughs> Here. God, I'm really tired. So that that's that, that's it for another month. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, thank fuck we're finally, like, fully caught up.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Um, next stop for us is 2000 Trees. Yeah. Where Brad and I are going to sort of sink a few beers and, and have just the just loveliest time. Yeah. Uh, just a few. <laughs> Watching, you know, some of the best bands on the planet. Um, last plug of this, I promise, if you are going to Trees, then check out our, um, our Bitchin' Festival preview uh, with contributions from Vukovi and I Told You I'd Eat You. Um, I'm going to be out and about over the weekend. I'm also going to be backstage chatting to some of the bands playing um, and we're probably going to review the weekend as part of a special episode, I'd yeah. imagine. Um, I'm on holiday the week after, but... We'll certainly get something out. Yeah, yeah. ASAFP. <laughs> um, if you do like what you've heard today, then be sure to subscribe to Bitchin' Brew on whatever podcast platform you use. Uh, join the Bitchin' Crew Facebook community. Follow, follow us on all the socials for that matter. Um, blah, blah, blah. Comment. Blah, blah, blah. Share. Blah, blah, blah. blah rate subscribe blah, blah you said blah. subscribe didn't you? yes um, we'll be back next month um, <laughs> with another bitchin' review where we'll be talking about records from Jamie Lemmon um, and Foxjaw mm-hmm. um, among others I don't really know what else is coming out in well we're speaking in July I don't know what it else is coming like we've out been this playing
1: catch up. That now we've just kind of got our head above yeah, ground. we have to see what's actually come out i I'm not yeah
0: <laughs> it might actually be a good time to we spoke about it before to do a little sort of catch up show of releases we've missed yeah, um, if there is a record you think we we should have covered and we didn't around the time that it came out, then give us a shout on social media. You can find us via the links in the description of this episode as ever mm-hmm. so um Brad, I'll see you at two thousand trees. see you there which is in like pretty much just over twenty four hours now yeah. Um, are you sick of me yet? No. 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 Never. Oh, no. Um, not but yet. Bless your heart. <laughs> do you want to? Do you want to sign off for me? Do you want to give everyone the golden
1: slogan? The slogan golden. Yeah. Um, no, sorry, I can't remember. <laughs> do you not? No. <laughs> Come on, Brad, you can do it. Be loud.
0: Be loud. Be kind. Be bitching. Ha! Fuck you, mate. <laughs> Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye.
1: <laughs>